Today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks, I'm with Kim Crisfort, National Managing Director of Deloitte Greenhouse, a division of Deloitte that helps executives tackle tough business challenges through immersive, facilitated lab experiences. I'm Kevin Perlmutter, Chief Strategist and Founder of Limbic Brand Evolution, a brand strategy and neuromarketing consultancy that taps into emotional insights to strengthen connections between brands and people. The limbic system part of our brain supports emotion, motivation, behavior, and memory. And I'm curious about how my guests are creating what I call limbic sparks, which happen when emotional motivation meets brand desire. I love talking with brand leaders who are turning emotional insight into a competitive advantage to drive business growth for the brands that they serve. Kim, I am so thrilled that you are joining me today and let's talk Limbic Sparks. Wonderful, thank you for having me. I'm so happy for this conversation that we're about to have, but I'm gonna start with just asking you, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, thank you. It's, it's great to reconnect with you, great to speak with you. And we're gonna talk a lot about the work that you do, uh, which is all about exploration and problem solving. But first, what's the common thread that motivates you in all you do? The common thread. All right. I like starting with the easy questions there, Kevin. <laughs> so common thread probably throughout everything I've done in my life is this desire to try new things and go beyond the status quo. And I've always had a deep passion for that intersection of science and art. So much of what I do is looking for ways to pull from diverse disciplines and create a new combination that gets people thinking differently and helps explore those new frontiers. It's fantastic. And you weave that into your personal life as well, the way you solve family things. And <laughs> I, I do actually, I was a, I was a science undergrad and then I got a business degree, but I've always been an artist. I was a dancer. I do painting. I'm a hobby architect. Uh, so yeah, I, I try wow. to, to pull that into everything, everything that I do. That is, that is absolutely wonderful. And, and I know in the work that you do, you're, you're an innovator and so much of it is around interpersonal relationships and improving those relationships. So that when it comes to your personal relationships, what qualities do you value the most? I think that relationships fundamentally need to be based on trust and, and kindness and reciprocity. Mm. So I am a big believer in having faith in other people and giving them the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, you know, if you're disappointed sometimes better that than to, uh, than to live life as a cynic. So I, I really think it's important to be open and authentic with, with people around us. Oh, so it's so incredible. And from having the chance to work with you, I've, I've experienced that in you as well. And I know that your team feels it as well. It's just, it's so great to hear you say that. Um, I would love for people listening to know even more about you. So I'm going to ask you to describe yourself, but to do so by naming three to five brands that paint <laughs> a picture of what you're all about and why you chose them. I love that question. Describing yourself with brands. You know, it's interesting because there's, there's three that pop to mind for me. Tesla is one of them. And that's because I love two things in particular. I love the bold innovation and sort of pushing the boundaries of what's possible. But I also love the idea of this beginner's mindset with Tesla, you know, mm -hmm. people who had never before designed 
automobiles are now suddenly in, you know, the leader in the, in the car space. And this, this idea that you can bring any idea to life, regardless of where you come from. And in fact, the diversity of your background can help you. One of the things we see in the greenhouse a lot is that we're held back by our own expertise. We know so much about something that it can be hard to think completely differently. And I think Tesla's done a really great job of challenging some of the traditional beliefs in, in that industry. The second one, uh, <laughs> you may you may laugh at this, but I'm a big fan of Trader Joe's. And I think as, as part of my brand, you know, one of the things I love about it, it's a fun experience. I mean, to, to the degree that grocery shopping can be fun, it's a fun experience. I love that everybody's wearing Aloha shirts. It's friendly. There's gorgeous signage. And I like the clever things they do with their brand. So you get an Italian sauce and it's Trader Giotto's. It's not Trader Joe's. And I, I think that belief in fun and in this customer experience uh, orientation is, is very much a part of who I am as well. Um, and then I think the last one I would probably choose is Patagonia. Mm. I love Patagonia because a lot of what they are about is making adventure accessible. And I feel like that's a lot of what I'm trying to do is make these new opportunities, these new innovations accessible to people, but do it with purpose and do it in a way that hopefully is good for society, good for the world. Those are three really incredible examples. And I can tell you that going to Trader Joe's is a family event at my house as well. It's <laughs> not our everyday grocery store, but it is the one we go to for special occasions. Exactly. <laughs> well, I confess I, I'm visiting my parents now and they don't have a Trader Joe's where they live. Uh, and I packed my suitcase with six frozen chocolate chip cookie dough packages and mm. two boxes of chocolate covered almonds because my parents swear by the brand so much that they would, they would want me to take that in my suitcase because they, uh, they can't get it here. And that, I think that's a real testament to the quality of the products in addition to the experience. Yeah. The experience that they put forth is definitely unique. It's definitely well, well crafted. Um, yeah. It, so, well, maybe this is going to, maybe we've already started to answer this next question, but I'm going to go for it. And maybe there's another brand you have in mind, but this, this podcast is so much about uncovering uh, what I call limbic sparks and, and those moments when emotional motivation meets brand desire. So I'd love for you to talk about a branded environment, a brand that you've, I mean, Trader Joe's might be the answer. We could talk more about it. Maybe there's another one um, that you absolutely love to experience over and over again. And what makes that environment so desirable? Yeah. Well, Trader Joe's is definitely an over and over again. Um, there's also some obvious ones that I, I don't experience over and over again, but like a Disneyland. I think Disneyland mm -hmm. is a great, every single moment is designed and thought through and very intentional in terms of the emotional activation beyond that. Um, one that I don't necessarily want to experience again and again, but I think is a really fantastic example of pushing what a brand can do is actually restoration hardware. So I, I'm not sure how familiar you are I with am. them, but- yeah, their yeah, furniture I, is, is beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and I've been sort of watching them from afar a bit. I was a, a consumer of theirs back when they were just stores uh, and, and, and would buy the little stocking stuffers that they used to have. But they have completely transformed their brand. And I saw an article in Architectural Digest that got me into researching them further. They are building spaces now that blend categories. So it's retail meets hospitality. Uh, it's sort of indoors meets outdoors. It's, it's all sorts of interesting intersections. And I think 
it's relevant for limbic sparks because what they're doing is they are bringing to life a lifestyle. So you, when you walk into that store, you're experiencing what it could be like to have restoration hardware as the foundation of your life, not only in terms of the room setups, but now you go to the restaurant and now you get your glass of wine and you go sit on the patio with the restoration hardware, lounge furniture all around you. It's a very immersive and integrated experience. And I think it's powerful because it's positioned the brand differently. It's not just stuff you buy. It's a way that you live. It's such an incredible concept. And I, I hadn't heard that they were doing that. And I'm so glad to hear that they are. They, they've got the goods from a quality perspective and, and it's just, it would be amazing to see what they're putting together. I'm going to check that out. Check it's out a- the Chicago. The Chicago one, I think was the first one that they experimented with that concept. Uh, and okay. that's the one that, that was in the Architectural Digest article. Oh, wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so speaking of branded environments, you're responsible for an incredible branded environment. Uh, the Deloitte Greenhouse, which is, for those who don't know, several spaces around the country that are meticulously uh, designed to promote exploration and problem solving for executives. Can you describe how these spaces foster what you call business not as usual and how these spaces inspire people to feel and think and act differently? Absolutely. The greenhouse spaces are interesting because in some ways they're like a canvas that we can paint upon and we can immerse people in whatever we need to for that particular moment. But there's some things that are common regardless of the moment. And that is the spaces are meant to evoke something. And so they have natural light, they have plants, they have movable furniture. So nothing is too precious. Everything can be arranged the way you need it. They have digital screens, but they also have highly tactile physical objects that you can see and touch and uh, and experience. We even have an area that is scent oriented. We have little scents on the walls, each of which are meant to help increase focus or meditation. They are self-service because we learned in a unsuccessful first pilot that not everybody likes smells, but it is a part of activating all the senses. And so all of our spaces have that infrastructure in common. We're very thoughtful also about the selection of furniture. Uh, wobbly furniture makes you feel uncertain. So, you know, bean bags and things, while they may be fun, we have to use those intentionally. Uh, some chairs are, are quite stiff and make you feel like you are constrained. We try to get a little bit of the, uh, the Goldilocks and the Three Bears concept, you know, too much, too <laughs> little, just right. We want people a little out of their comfort zone, but not so uncomfortable that they can't be authentic, that they can't really connect with the people around them. Yeah, it's the, the spaces are so well designed and it's so interesting to hear about all the, all the ways that you can customize them. But at the foundation, every element is so thoughtful, so thoughtful. Yeah, the other interesting thing about the spaces and and back to the idea of it being a canvas, if you have a space that's a canvas, you can play with people's perceptions of things in a way that will actually activate their thinking in new ways. So for instance, if I'm talking about a big, bold move that you need to take, we could talk about that as a big, bold move, or I could turn the space into Mars 
and you are on this planet for the first time. And how does that feel being this person on the planet for the first time? Or if I'm trying to build trust and get sharing, we could talk about trust and sharing, or I could build a campfire in the middle of my greenhouse and have a tent and pine trees and all these things around. And then we have a conversation in front of a campfire. And it may sound contrived, but there's really interesting research about embodied cognition which suggests that the things you're surrounded with and the way that your body interacts with that actually influences the mind. So it's just, not just the mind influencing the body, the body influences the mind. I love it. That is so cool. Uh, I, I know that a primary goal of the Deloitte Greenhouse experience is to get to breakthrough ideas, breakthrough trademark, you guys. <laughs> um, and and why, why, is it so why is it typically so challenging for executives to get to breakthrough during the course of a of a normal business day. Yeah. I think there's several reasons why getting to breakthrough is so hard. Uh, for one thing, if you just look at the word itself, break through, there's something holding you back. There's a reason why you're not getting there. And so with breakthrough, oftentimes people feel like the barrier is insurmountable. Somebody's tried before and they failed. Let's not bother, what is it really worth it anyway? Or they don't even see it. They don't realize that there's that barrier there keeping them from it. And so part of what we tried to do in the greenhouse is figure out what is that barrier and create an experience that lets people recognize it, get around it or work, work past it in some way. I think the second reason that it's hard to get through breakthrough is the normal day-to-day -day requirements tax your brain so much. You're so busy just keeping heads above water and widgets moving on the line or whatever it is you're trying to do that you don't have the space to take a step back and really think and consider the whole problem and what you're trying to accomplish. And again, we try to engineer things so that you have that space. We, we force people. In fact, one of the principles of a greenhouse experience is called live with the problem. Live with the problem is something that executives are very uncomfortable with. We don't want to live with the problem. We want to solve the problem. Like, what is this? Why am I living with it? The reason we say that, though, is that typically people will rush to solutions and it may not be treating the right thing in the first place. It's treating the symptom and not the root cause. And so by living with the problem, you're essentially taking the time to understand what that problem really is and dig into what a potential solution might be that would actually be sustainable and would actually get you to break through. The cognitive understanding that you bring to this is so incredible. And, you know, like there's always discussions that I'm part of where it, it people are, we're trying to get business people out of their comfort or out of their comfort zone, right? And so we're trying to help them let their guard down. We're, help, we're trying to help them express themselves more openly. We're, in conversations that I have, it has to do with um, emotion and the power of emotion when it comes to branding. And sometimes they get confused and they think we're talking about their and their company's emotions as opposed to the emotions of the people they're trying to reach. You know, one of the things that I, I constantly see and hear about is there's an inherent conflict uh, between what some people refer to as rational decision-making or rational benefits and emotional decision-making or emotional benefits. So why, why is it so important? Why do you believe it's so important, even for B2B brands, for brand leaders to recognize this importance of emotional benefits when it comes to messaging and experiential differentiation? 
I would argue that emotion is essential not only for your customers and how you connect with your customers and your brand, but even for your own company and yourself and the way you think about things. Fundamentally, we are human beings. We are not robots. And we have to synthesize those two parts of our being, the rational side and the emotional side, in order to get a full perspective on whatever the situation is. And I think for customers in particular interacting with a brand, we all have had experiences where we're maybe in the checkout counter, maybe at Trader Joe's, and we see that we see that thing there and we, we don't need it, but we buy it. And why do we buy it? Well, we buy it for some need we have and feeling we have about it. And then we justify it after. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I needed this anyway because I missed lunch today or I needed this anyway because, you know, it was so-and-so's birthday or whatever, whatever the reason is. But our decisions don't always start with reason. I think there's power in acknowledging also that what, what we're really seeking oftentimes is connection. And connection is rational in many ways, but it's also deeply emotional. And connection is what sustains things from a transaction in time to a sustained relationship over time. And that's really what I think brands ultimately are trying to achieve. Yes. And you're hitting on one of my favorite topics and you're actually leading into my next question. Um, because I, I also know that you are a primary innovator of Deloitte's business chemistry approach. Um, and that is all about understanding what makes people tick to create stronger connections. So can you share some essentials that you've learned and developed and that you deploy through business chemistry um, around creating stronger relationships. And when I think of that, I think of it between people. I also think of it between pe people, person and brand. But what are those essentials for creating stronger relationships? The idea behind business chemistry is that we each have a natural style and that style is our home base. We're most comfortable there. We really lean into that style. And while we can flex beyond it, flexing takes energy. So we tend to default to what we naturally do. The challenge that we have is that there's actually four major styles out there. And so oftentimes people default to their own style and there's a little bit of the do unto others as you would want done yourself attitude about it. Well, I want it this way. So therefore you must want it that way. Um, but if there's four styles, you're actually only going to be right a quarter of the time. And so part of what we try to do is be very aware of what those differences are recognizing that everybody's going to be unique. But if most people are characterized by one or perhaps two of those styles, how do you recognize that in someone else? And how do you maybe tailor what you're doing to better appeal to the other person, to better connect with the other person, to have a more productive conversation? That's the other interesting thing about business chemistry is that these styles, by definition, are at opposite ends of spectrums. And opposite sounds oppositional. There's conflict in that. There, there's sort of tension points. And so you'll frequently see situations where people are, oh, that guy just doesn't get it. You know, I was on this call and he barely said a word the whole time. I just think he wasn't even tuned in. Well, in fact, that person might have been one of the styles that's a little bit more introverted, likes to think before they speak and actually have something significant to say, and maybe in a different environment would have been contributing. But that the factors weren't set up for success. And so what we try to do is recognize things for what they are, 
treat it as something that is complementary, like different puzzle pieces mm-hmm. coming together versus oppositional. And there's huge power in that for individual relationships, but also for team relationships, because all the research suggests that there is enormous benefit in having diversity of all types, working styles being one of them. And that is very true if you know how to tap it and harness it and use it. But if you don't, having diversity actually can be disruptive. It can make you less productive as a team because you get all that oppositional conflict. Yeah, it's it's such um, it's such an incredible um, set of guardrails. And what you one of the things you mentioned is it's it's not just about being opposites. It's about understanding the other person, so you can one or both of you adapt to that relationship and um, understand how people like to have conversations. Under people understand how people like to be uh, well, how people respond better to scenarios and to information and, you know, to a certain extent, giving them the space that they need to, um, to, to get to where you want them to go. Um, and I think it's, it's really around that understanding what makes people tick idea so that you can relevantly um, present yourself to them, which that's, is, that's exactly right. It's such, it's such an interesting thing. I, I learned a lot um, as a driver on, on how to, connect with other people through some of those teachings. <laughs> that's, but yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's a, it's still a choice. We want people to be authentic. So we're not asking people to pretend to not be a driver. That's the best part about it. That, it that's the best, yeah. <laughs> you know, but a lot of it is self-awareness. I mean, some people don't realize that the way they're coming across either doesn't work for certain types or, or maybe is misinterpreted by different types. Yeah. And so, you know, you could choose to keep doing that. Uh, or you could choose to, to stretch or flex a little bit, but it helps. I find even just having the conversation, even telling people, Hey, you know, I'm a driver, so I'm going to you know go straight to the point and I'm going to want to get it done quickly. Like even that helps. Yeah, it's incredible. So like, as we think about applying this to brands and as we think about applying this to the idea of creating limbic sparks, what do you believe are the best ways to create limbic sparks? Those moments when emotional motivation meets brand desire. Yeah. I like to start from a end in mind and work backwards. So what are we trying to ultimately create here? And based on that, what, what is, what is the underlying experience, both from a strategic and process standpoint and that rational side of the brain, as well as from an emotional side of the brain. So if I'm trying to get somebody to make a dramatic change in their organization, I need to acknowledge that the outcome is I need them to actually behave differently in order to get them there. I need to believe, I need them to believe that it's worth that end. So there's a step before the, how do we get to this thing, which is, is it even worth it? It's scary. I'm not sure it's going to work. I've seen people try and fail. So you have to actually dig into some of that emotion so that, you know, then what the strategy is going to be. And then there's this wonderful magic intersection of the two, the limbic spark, as you call it, (laughs) where you say, okay, I want to lean into the emotion rather than avoiding it. I know it's scary. So let's talk about why it's scary. And does it have to be scary? Or is it like the boogeyman under the bed? It's something that, that we have been afraid of for years, but actually no one's actually looked under the bed. We just sort of assume the boogeyman's still there. And so you tackle, instead of pretending that the emotion isn't there, you explicitly acknowledge it, you lean into it, and then you replace it 
with a healthier emotion. Because again, we're not trying to be robots. We're not trying to take the emotion out of it. But instead of feeling afraid, maybe you can feel excited. I love the guidance about public speaking that says, you know, if you feel your heart racing and everything, you need to reframe it in your own brain. It's not that you're you know, terrified and you're going to fail. It's not anxiety. It's anticipation. Yeah. It's excitement. And that racing heartbeat is a good thing and it's going to fuel you. And you, you just reframe that emotional response. Why do you think that some brands are still neglecting the power of emotion and emotional insights in their approach to growing their business? I think there's a lot of associations with emotions that are unhelpful when it comes to applying them in a business context. It's considered to be maybe soft versus hard. It's considered to maybe be a distraction versus a core. And I think that oftentimes people don't recognize the power of the emotion and we, we become too intellectual. And if you think about a lot of, a lot of business and, and a lot of the way that we measure success, it's in things that you can count and things that you can easily measure and things that can be more efficient. And a lot of emotion is a means to an end. It's a way of getting to a better product, a stickier product, deeper loyalty, deeper connection. And that's incredibly impactful and harder to measure. And so people, people might dismiss it, not realizing the power that it actually has. Now, I would say based on the thousands of experiences that we've done, emotion is actually the most important thing because it, it's like the... Uh, the classic, I think the Heath brothers wrote about the elephant and the rider, you know, the, the, the brain, the, the psychological part of the brain is such a small part of how we actually make decisions. You know, we're, we're motivated by this, this elephant, this deep sort of underpinning of desire and needs and wants and circumstances. And that's emotion. What is it that you know now that you wish you knew years ago, something that other brand leaders can learn from? I think the brand is only as good as the experiences you put behind it. One of the things that we, we struggled with and honestly still sometimes struggle with today is that we are a brand who's about business not as usual. And in our actual experiences, it is business not as usual. But that's not the only touch point that people have with our brands. And some of our other touch points are extremely business as usual, like the contracting process or the registration process. And so I think it's so important to think about what are the major interactions that people have with your brand and are those interactions consistent with the message and the emotions that you're trying to evoke? Because if they aren't, it's actually worse in a way. It, it, it's, it's, if you're going to claim a space and then disappoint people on that, it's, it's worse than not claiming the space at all. That is fantastic. Of course, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and I am so absolutely thrilled to spend this time with you today and that you've been able to join me on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. For more, go to limbicsparks.com. <laughs>